Do you want to learn how to create your personal brand? Do you want to learn how to stand out online and network like a pro? Well, my friends, it just so happens that I've published my first online course on Skillshare Premium. It's called Do Things, Tell People, The Power of Personal Branding. It's a condensed, practical, and user-friendly version of my signature keynote of the same name. It's perfect if you're just starting out, but still useful if you've already established yourself online. Why did I publish on Skillshare, you ask? Because Skillshare is something that I've used time and again to level up. It's comprehensive, it's a great learning community with over 25,000 classes in design, business, and more. And for listeners of the Ideas Into Action podcast, I'm offering two free months of free Skillshare premium access to my course and thousands of others. All you have to do is sign up at skl.sh slash Khan. Once again, that's skl.sh slash Khan. Skillshare, tomorrow is for the taking. Welcome to episode 21 of the Ideas Into Action podcast. I'm your host, Hamza Khan, and our producer is Kwaku Ajimang, a.k.a. Kwaku On Air, a.k.a. ASAP Kwaki. <laughs> Who writes this shit? Oh yeah, I do. The turnaround time on these episodes have been getting tighter and tighter. We finally found a groove, and I know that by season two, this will all be clockwork. Speaking of finding grooves, our next guest today has found a unique niche at the intersection of fashion and technology. Megan Rumla is the founder and CEO of Sonder Toronto. Her desire to create something bigger than herself has always been at the forefront of her career. Megan graduated from the Law and Business program at Ryerson University. Shortly after graduating, she became a marketing and communications professional at a top Bay Street law firm, where she was involved in many strategic initiatives such as the Canada 150 campaign and launching the firm's first Instagram account. While juggling her 9 to 5, Megan continued to exercise her creativity on theawkwardadult.com, a personal blog that explored what it meant to be a young adult. In addition, Megan has launched a fashion and sustainable tech company, Sonder Toronto, and has collaborated with local entrepreneurs to produce content. Megan is also involved with the Martin Family Initiative as a mentor to Indigenous high school students and was a marketing advisor to Flock, a project focused on providing women with the resources and support to explore entrepreneurship. In this episode, we talked about disrupting fashion, balancing full-time work and entrepreneurship, and finding deeper meaning in your work. We also talked about immigrant parents, avoiding burnout, and dealing with failure. It was a fun and easy conversation that covered a lot of ground. By the way, joining me as a co-host today is Megan's business partner, Aisha Shahabdeen. Friends, give it up for Megan and Aisha. Well, here we go. Megan Ramwa and Aisha Shahabdeen, which again, your last name means... Uh, the light of Dean or light of the religion. What a badass last name. <laughs> um, Aisha, you are our co-host today. You are the honorary second fiddle awesome, to awesome. this interview of Megan. And so I apologize. Don't have a gift for you. Oh, but okay. my promise to you is we'll bring you back for another season and <laughs> okay. then we'll hook you up properly. But as you know, we start off every episode of Ideas into Action with a gift for our guests. But actually, this is the sort of gift that you can share with each other. So this gift for you in this nice little money bag, oh. Megan, is all yours. And tell the listeners and the viewers what this gift is. Dwar by Dwar. Oh, the autobiography. Uh, Dior. Dior. You made the same mistake as my boy Chex. So oh. Chex actually also says Dwar as yeah. well. But it's all Dior. good. Dior. Dior. Dior by Dior. So oh, this is the autobiography perfect. of Christian Dior. And I so hope you fitting. enjoy it. Oh my goodness. Now check this out. He said that don't buy much, but make sure what you buy is good. Don't buy much, but make sure what you buy is good. Now, at the time of writing, at the time that he said that, he was probably referring exclusively to quality, but I feel like if you're having a conversation about fashion Mm -hmm. and good in 2019 and beyond, you've got to talk about sustainability, you've got to talk about diversity, you've got to talk about community, which happened to be three pillars of Sonder, and that's where y'all come in. First of all, what is Sonder? Okay, so Sonder, um, it's a fashion tech business with a sustainable solution. So what we're doing is actually helping to alleviate um, all the waste that's going to landfills by uh, creating a community where people can actually put their clothing online, which they're no longer utilizing on a day-to-day basis, and rent them out to people in their community. And through our platform, people are actually um, enabled to share their stories. So it's not just about putting up your clothes and renting it, but it's connecting a community of the inspirational with the aspirational. I love that. Putting that very succinctly, connecting the inspirational with the aspirational. Yes. And Aisha, how did you enter into the universe of Sonder? So we actually went to university together. Ryerson. And, yes. Same program? Uh, no. So she was in law and I was, I was in finance. Look at that. And yeah. you crossed paths at TRSM. Yes. And so I, I have been following her for a long time on Instagram because obviously we're friends from university and, um, kind of reconnected by when she posted once I've seen uh, her post about Sandra and I was like, 
that I need to be part of this. This is something I'm really passionate about, sustainability and fashion. I mean, I love to dress well. It's, mm-hmm. just, it's just fun, right? So uh, when I reconnected with her, I was like, uh, how can I be part of this vision? And this? I feel like it's a movement. Um, and so, yeah, from then on, it just kind of... I love this. I love this. Are you familiar with the Tri Mentoring Program at Ryerson? I was yes. part of that. Yeah, same. So <laughs> I think it was called Suit Up for Success, mm-hmm. their program, which was about s- renting out suits and renting out business attire to people who couldn't afford them. And, you know, your idea over here for Sondra got me thinking about when I was sort of coming up and uh, I couldn't afford professional clothing. I couldn't afford the sort of attire that I would need to go into interviews and look like I was presentable. And like the more I move through life and the more I've seen different cuts of suits, I think it's really easy to tell when somebody is not dressed for that particular occasion. And uh, I think, you know, as here I am recording this podcast with y'all, I'm wearing (laughs) sneakers and I'm wearing a hat. I don't care about that stuff anymore, man. I, I think that any establishment that doesn't let you walk in and be yourself and makes a judgment about you based on what you're wearing, fuck them. Mm-hmm. Don't want to be a part of that anyways. Yeah. However, I do understand that there is a game that needs to be played. And certainly if you're working in the world of finance or working in the world of law, I think that when you're showing up, and those are just two industries that I picked arbitrarily, but when you're showing up, you got to come suited. Mm-hmm. You got to come wearing the pants. You got to come wearing the, pr- the creased shirts and all that. I think what you're doing is really fascinating because you're democratizing that process and making it accessible to everyone. Mm-hmm. But it's not just about professional attire too. You're also including other types of clothes. Am I, am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, that's yeah. correct. So first it actually started with professional attire because just like on your story, it came from my personal experience of like going to conferences at Ryerson and saying, I need an outfit for a one-time event, but I don't have the money or resources to keep spending it. Of course. Just like as women, we don't want to wear the same thing twice with the same group of people. So I started looking at rental companies um, within Toronto and everything was focused on very high end, like wedding type of outfit. Mm -hmm. And I said, how can we make this more accessible? When I found that wasn't something that was happening, I said, I guess I could create this. Um, So it wasn't just about the professional attire started there. But then then we said people need outfits for just regular events. We want to like tackle fast fashion because this is what people are consuming all the time. And how can we actually allow people to wear everyday clothing on a more regular basis and share it with one another? And what is fast fashion for the listeners who are not familiar with that term, including myself? Yeah, so fast fashion is basically... um, outfits that are made for this season. So kind of like how H&M and Zara, they're focusing on like, kind of like, they follow these marketing brand, marketing campaigns. Yeah, these trends, whatever is popular. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So they're like, you know, festival season and summer and this and that. So it's like very cheaply made material Mm -hmm. to uh, last for a short amount of time. Um, And that's basically what fast fashion is. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. So you wouldn't be wearing like, clothes that were trendy 10 years ago, although I'm sure that's trendy now, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But you wouldn't wear something that's so grossly out of season. You would still be fashionable. So you're not just taking people's hand-me-downs, you're taking relatively fashionable hand-me-downs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very interesting. So I understand from the user perspective why this is fantastic, and I can't wait to see this launched. By the way, when are we launching? We're hoping for <laughs> um, wintertime, November. So we're right Fingers now in our, yeah, beta testing program. And uh, we're hoping to get that ready for winter to launch fully. What's the business model? How are y'all going to make money from this? <laughs> so I know the worst question that? you can ask any entrepreneur. Yeah, right? It's no. like, let me just build a thing that's fucking valuable first <laughs> and we'll figure out monetization later, right? Exactly. So actually, funny you talk about that. We actually had just pitched at an incubator at Ryerson and uh, we pitched our business model. And um, because we were just like up and coming, they kind of focused on, you know, big financial projections and we weren't ready at that point mm-hmm. and we said yes of course we want to like make all this money and be sustainable but we need to figure it out slowly so basically how we're looking at people are going to um, make money and how we're going to make money is actually kind of um, following a tiered price model along with um, a period of rental days got it yeah we did um, some market research recently where we sent it out to everyone online men and women included and we said okay what kind of pricing model would work best for you so anything between you know a 50 to 100 dollar bracket or 100 to 150 there's are different um, set prices and then by a certain set days that's also an added cost as well and the Love way it, it kind of works is like um, it could be just a full outfit so if I liked your full outfit right now I could rent out the sweater jeans and hat really yeah and so when you rent it out, you're borrowing it for one period or for so however long you one, need it. So we have one, three, five, and seven days. And then the rental assumes that it's going to come back to me afterwards. Yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. Sounds like Airbnb for clothes, exactly. kind of. 
<laughs> Shit. So how did you get involved in this, Aisha, in the sense that what was your motivation for joining us? What made you think what made you say when you saw Megan putting out the announcement about Sonder that this is an initiative that I want to get behind? Like what was it about disrupting fashion with technology that got you excited? So I think the concept of FOMO is really big. <laughs> <laughs> Fear and of missing out. Yeah, exactly. So I and I think that kind of plays into you always want to look great all the time. And especially with younger kids and even adults, like you want to look amazing at all points of time at, at every event. So I think that's where the huge motivation was because just like any other person, I want to look great. So I want to have access to all types of clothes depending on my mood depending if I want to experiment. And I think that's the fun part about fashion is you can experiment with how you look. This is so fascinating. So walk me through a typical use case over here. Let's say I put up my wardrobe on Sonder mm -hmm. and I make this available to people who want to rent it. What would that process look like if somebody says, for some reason I want to wear that black hoodie that Hums is wearing? <laughs> I mean, hey, it's very comfortable. Yeah, I can not? attest yeah, to it. It feels, yeah. it feels great. <laughs> What would happen? Like, would I have to give this to a center? Would somebody come pick it up? Would they come pick it up? What does that exchange look like? How are you envisioning this transaction taking place? So essentially, everyone who signs up with Sonder would receive kind of um, a personalized care package. Uh. So they would get boxes and garment bags, um, obviously with some personalized notes and treats. And basically, if somebody says, hey, I want to rent Hamza's um, sweater, that transaction will take place online on our site and you will get a notification from us saying this person would like to um, rent your outfit for these many days and we're going to send someone to your home to pick it up during these hours. Oh, okay. So just like a regular courier service and we're partnering with uh, Send It Courier. Nice. They're just a bike um, courier service downtown and they will come pick it up, um, send it to the person or we're also looking at the option where people can meet because we're hoping to cultivate those relationships between people you've never met before mm -hmm. and even um, when I was testing out this idea, I had just posted um, myself in a jumpsuit on Instagram and I said, hey, this outfit is a Available for rent. You can rent it for three, five, seven days. Um, let me know. Here are the details as to the retail costs and everything. This um, blogger, a business blogger in Toronto, she messaged me, had never spoken to her before. And she goes, I would love to rent a few outfits. I'm doing a video. I'm going to an event. And can I get involved with your business? Can I rent some outfits? Wow. And I said, for sure, definitely, come on board. And I sent her a bunch of outfits. She rented them. She used them in her videos. And we've actually become such great friends because we ended up meeting, talking about our businesses together and just, like, starting to collaborate at the same time. And I said, it's so great. I felt so good that that happened. If that can happen for everyone else, then I'm really making an impact. Absolutely. My mind is turning just thinking about this. Like, why why not? Yeah. Like this is one of those things. My clothes are just at home right now, sitting in the closet, doing absolutely nothing. But if I can monetize that right now and in the process help somebody that doesn't have the means to go ahead and buy their own outfits, by all means, take it. Just make sure you clean it. Don't even dry clean it. Just send it right back and I'll take care of that. No problem. We've got dry cleaning cover too. You even, oh, yeah. wow. Okay. So let's say I rent out a suit, mm -hmm. a three-piece suit. It'll be dry clean and then return back to me? Yes. Yep. Amazing. I'm in. And the the quality of the cleaning products that are used by the dry cleaner is sustainable as well. And well, let's talk about that, right? So on your website, it says clothes aren't going to change the world. The people who wear them will. Mm -hmm. When I read that, I was filled with, with all sorts of feelings, like really good positive feelings in that. You touched on a couple of things with this quote. So you've talked about the role that people play in this mm -hmm. and people over the clothes themselves, but people as a force for bringing together a set of values. Um, that will hopefully shape the world in the vision that we want to see it in. Um, I'm stumbling over my words over here, but basically help me, help me understand what it is that you meant by that. Clothes aren't going to change the world, the people who wear them will. I mean, we're trying to create a community, and I think that's what that means, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the same, like, going back to the story of myself meeting um, someone else within the Toronto entrepreneurship community, um, the clothes are just an item that we wear to express ourselves. Right. So if um, by people sharing this, sharing their stories online, being part of something bigger than themselves, then those people are the ones who are going to make an impact, be positive and change the world, whether it's as small as, you know, alleviating um, waste from our landfills, like removing that waste um, or just like telling your story with somebody. Those people are the ones who we're building a business for. 
I love it. So Megan, help us understand how this idea clicked in terms of your career trajectory. So you graduated from Ryerson, mm-hmm. their law and business program, and then you dipped your toes and you went full in into the wild world of marketing and yes. communications <laughs> for the legal industry. Yeah. And you work for a top law firm. Um, and I imagine you were working wild hours mm-hmm. and it was all consuming. And, uh, you know, how did you manage to, to create enough capacity for yourself to work on this while balancing this full time? Right. So honestly, the first year, it was super tough because I had this idea as I was graduating school. And even when I graduated, I didn't have a job lined up. And I said, that's fine. Like, I'm just going to work on my business, do my thing, see what happens. And the world is my oyster kind of situation. I luckily came across this opportunity at the law firm. And I said, oh, it's kind of a perfect balance to figure out if I want to go to law school. But I get to also exercise um, my skills in marketing and grow that a little bit. Uh, So the first year when I started, um, that was like right when I graduated. So I started in August. And I actually didn't have any time to work on my business. It was very difficult. I was managing so many personalities. It wasn't what I expected it to be because I feel like in school they tell you the world is going to be great. You're like armed with so much knowledge and so much creativity, you're especially at go. Ryerson. Yeah. yeah, they say like, you're going to be at the top. You know, anybody can be a All CEO. All the industry connections we've got. Yeah, exactly. you're set. Exactly. And then when you go in, you're like, oh, I'm at the bottom bottom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm way at the bottom. And I'm also, when I started at the law firm, I was one of three millennials in our group. Oh boy. So it was very weird for a lot of people. And my manager, uh, she was also very tough, like very smart woman, very great, but very tough. And I had asked her one time, I said, why did you hire me? Yeah, good question. <laughs> yeah, and she said, because you have that entrepreneurial spirit. Nice. And she said, um, you're also very positive and people like that about you and we need that. So um, going to work there, I was just trying to balance so many things and trying to be so present at my job. Um, there are so many nights where we're spending like 9 to 9 or 9 wow. to 12 a.m. for like certain projects. And I wasn't able to do that because like do my business because I was commuting at the same time back to Etobicoke. Um, I wasn't able to go to the gym for a long time. Right. It has so a cascading effect on everything, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. So I became really depressed at a point because I wasn't able to fulfill myself in other ways that I knew were positive to me. Yeah, you became what you do, not who you are. Exactly, yeah. So that was super sad. And I said, uh, in order to like get to the next level and do my business, because this is something that was sitting with me for so long, I had to do something different. So I told my parents, I'm going to move downtown. Mm. <laughs> and being a young brown woman, that's... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there wasn't an enthusiastic yes. No, yeah. <laughs> they were very upset. Uh, they upset makes very sense, yeah. resistant to that because they said, we are still living in Toronto. You worked in Toronto. Yeah. It shouldn't be a problem. Yeah. Um, and I said, no, this is something I have to do in order totally. to like fulfill my business and fulfill my dreams and stuff. I need to go. Uh, so I had moved into like a house by Spadina College with like five other people. Nice. <laughs> it wasn't the most glamorous Chinatown. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was just, it was what it was. And, and it took me a year to really um, come to terms with what I wanted to do. Right. And I was also hiding behind my business because I told some certain people what I was doing and what I wanted to achieve. But I was afraid that if I publicized it and I failed, that it would just hurt me. Yeah, it becomes a burden. You yeah. almost now become defined by that goal that you project out into the world, which can be extremely motivating, mm-hmm. but also very debilitating in that it's looming over you at all times. Exactly. This awareness that people know that you're working on the business and they're kind of twiddling their thumbs yeah, thinking, what's, what's happening? Yeah. yeah, That's exactly what happened. So the first year of balancing, balancing my job, trying to move downtown, I didn't even know what I was doing right or if it was wrong. And then I think it was March last year, I decided I'm going to write a blog about my business and I'm going to put it out there. I'm going to get really clear on what the vision and mission is for this business. And then once it's out there, it's out there. So I did that. I sat in a cafe for like three hours. I said, oh my goodness, let me figure this out. Typed away, put it online that same night. And I said, okay, I don't know what's going to happen. Let's just figure it out. Let's see what happens. And then there was just this overwhelming positive response. Yeah. And so many people believed in the vision and they said, this is amazing. Like you're doing a good thing. And I said, okay, it's out there now. I need to focus on this. There's a dual benefit to doing that. And I would highly encourage any of the listeners right now who are thinking about starting something but are hesitating, 
put it out into the world mm -hmm. because two things are going to happen. Number one, you're going to invest people in the narrative of that. So this is the, your early marketing that's going to happen. It's kind of like letting people know like, hey, day one of filming the Avengers. And now suddenly what's happened is the Zagarnik effect has kicked in, which is the human need to want to finish stories. Mm -hmm. So anybody who's read your blog is now thinking, hmm, what's going to happen with Megan? What's going to happen with Aisha? What's going to happen with Sonder? Mm -hmm. So that's subconsciously sort of eating away at them. And so they're eagerly awaiting that next update they're going to get right. from you. But for you, what it does, it allows you to telegraph a little bit into the future, not too far into the future, but just enough where you feel motivated to rise to the occasion. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad you did that. Way to go. Yes, that was really helpful because within that year, there was so much growth personally and professionally. And I said, if I didn't do that, I don't think we would be at this point where we are right now. Absolutely. And uh, you suffered a bit of an existential crisis in Brookfield place of all yes. places. Yeah. What, what was that about? Uh, so that was very early when I started my career at the law firm. Um, I was kind of battling with this idea of, you know, um, kind of capitalism mm -hmm. <laughs> and socialism and trying to figure out where do I need to go? Because I still didn't... Where do I fit within these systems exactly. or these dual, ide dual ideologies? Exactly. Because I wasn't sure s yet if I wanted to pursue law school. And I was in this firm where there were so many intelligent people. And I wanted to understood, understand what, what drives them every day. Um, and I was doing some kind of research, looking at different bios on our website, looking, reading about the different lawyers. Um, and I felt like I still have this attachment to tell stories and I wanted to do that mm -hmm. but I didn't know how should I go to um, pursue a master's in journalism should I just uh, launch my writing career I wasn't sure what to do and I knew in the back of my head there was um, a lawyer a tech lawyer who was once a journalist so I remember that so when I was in um, Brookfield Place I was just walking around there was this photojournalism exhibit and they said, you know, within the insides of it, it was very graphic, some s harsh stories. Um, and I was like, okay, I'll just go ahead and read it. And this was during my lunch hour. Um, I read all the stories on the outside. Then I went inside and read the stories. And I was just, like, crying. Yeah, <laughs> moving like, stuff. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was very, very moving. Um, and I was just crying. And then I What kind of stories were these, by the way? Just, like, um, people in third world countries. Okay. And even, like within Canada or suffering, you know, health or social economic problems. And what a place to put those stories, right? Where you, while you're going down to get your boho flock <laughs> half salad with chicken in there and Just quinoa. Like exactly. Yeah. You fucking open up your mind to what the real world is like. Because exactly. this is all bullshit, right? That's exactly how I felt because I was standing there and reading these stories and like tears were in my eyes and I said, here I am standing in the middle of Brookfield Place where multi-millions of dollars are flowing through mm -hmm. every single day and almost unconsciously yeah and people are walking by reading these stories saying oh that's cool or that's sad yeah just dismissing that yeah and saying, i guess i'll donate yeah, yeah and not really doing anything to to, to actually um, impact people who are suffering mm -hmm. and I said all oh, right like maybe I need to go become a journalist I don't know I need to do something yeah you felt like maybe you would make it made the wrong decision yeah I felt very compelled like I needed to to pivot and I was just so emotionally charged from this that I went back and I went to that uh, lawyer who was once a journalist and I said can I can I talk to you I I'm, I'm new here I read your bio uh, I just came from Brookfield Place and I just saw all these things I just want to get your perspective she's like yeah for sure I said, you know, you were once a journalist. Um, like, I'm thinking maybe this is a path I should take. Uh, what's your advice? Why did you become a tech lawyer? And she was so abrupt with her answers. She said, I, w I became a journalist because I was good at writing. That was it. And then she said, I wouldn't even advise you to do it because there's no money in it. Hmm. Like, if that's something you're thinking about, think about doing something else. There's no money. There's no money in it. And she's like, I'm a lawyer now. I make a lot of money, and I'm happy. And it was just, it was so plain. I don't know how I feel about that. That kind of, that's a really weird thing to hear, yeah. right? Yeah. I have money, therefore I'm happy. I just, I don't know if she was being honest with herself. Yeah, I don't know. But I just felt so discouraged because, you know, once again, when you graduate from school, you're filled with so much energy. And then for someone to say, no, actually, yeah. your passion is not what's going to make you happy. You mm -hmm. need to do something that's more more financially stable. Become a lawyer. Become I don't know financially stable, but more yeah. like 
fits with the mold yeah. of like what is correct. There is something to be said about financial stability, though, and I've been wrestling with this idea for quite some time. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it, right? I think that in order to succeed in North America, you have to live with cognitive dissonance. You have to, on the one hand, believe that in order to succeed in the modern capitalist economy, you have to play the game. You have to make money. You have to make a certain baseline that can afford you the lifestyle that you want. In order to do that, you're going to have to warp what's natural. You're going to have to show up to networking events. You're going to have to optimize your time, energy, attention. You're going to have to really become productive in the sense that you can generate value that the market values. Mm -hmm. Right? So you have to be economically productive. You have to be able to generate money. Mm -hmm. So you have to believe that on the one hand, but you also have to simultaneously believe that you're enough, that without that money, you can still be a normal, functioning, happy, healthy human being. And it's interesting, even though the listeners are listening to this several weeks later, we're recording this episode on Mother's Day. And I think Mother's Day is so interesting because this is the capitalist economy telling us that for one day out of 365, remember that your mom's important. Yeah. Which I think is almost sinister. Like every day, if you're living with the right kind of cognitive dissonance, is you should believe that every day is Mother's Day and celebrate your mom every single day, such that without your job, you still love your mother and you don't need to allocate one day in the entire year to celebrate your mom. What are your thoughts on this, that you have to act in unnatural ways in the modern economy to succeed, but at the same time believe that without all of this, you're still the shit. So from my own personal experience, I worked at a company that I thought would, well, got paid me way more than my previous job. And just like Megan, I had a pretty interesting experience where I was working from 8 till 10 p.m., um, killing myself and not being appreciated for the work I was doing. And I just, at that moment, I realized no matter how much money, and there's almost like a cap of like how much money you can get paid, and then you, like, not, you're not gonna get anything out of it. Right. And so from then on, I was like, I need to pursue my passions. Still, I mean, I still kind of agree with what you're saying with mm -hmm. kind of having that kind of a stable job and then also pursuing your passions. But I feel like at a certain point, you're, you will be able to pursue your passions full time. I think they do blend. Like I'm now 31 turning 32 this year. And I think only in the last five years have both sides of that cognitive dissonance equation started to merge together. I think early in my career, I remember working on projects that I absolutely hated. I remember writing press releases and writing blog posts for products that I didn't believe in. But what I was doing is I was cutting my teeth, I was building enough of a financial insulation that I could then invest in my own projects. And now I'm at a place where the things that I do for money are also the things that I do for my soul. Mm -hmm. But that happens at different stages for different people in their lives. And sometimes it doesn't happen and sometimes that's perfectly okay. Mm -hmm. Like there's the thing that you do and then there's the person that you are and I think that we should always remember that the person that you are is more important than the thing that you yeah. do yeah, just insofar as the thing that you do isn't hurting other people and making, yeah. the, world <laughs> a, making the world a worse place Agreed. are your parents still working right now yes your parents yeah. are still working your parents are still yeah. working I was just talking with somebody the other day and I think uh, I forget who it was I think it was a, a young mentee of mine who said it's a dream of mine to one day just show up to my mom and dad's workplace with a check and be like you don't got to do this no more. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, what's that going to take? Like, even I, I can't do that right now. There's no way. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Like, But yeah. shout out to them, right? Because that, I think, you know, you have a good relationship with, with your parents. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? Are they a source of motivation for you? Like, do they, do they inspire you to work and, uh, you know, give you hope that you can develop into a full-fledged adult just like them, functioning and giving and caring? I think my parents are not, like, maybe the typical brown parents where they really encouraged me and my brothers to pursue our dreams and work and always try to be the best of the best. I love it. It's not It's not really particularly like the typical Desi, because um, Desi is yeah, like yeah. brown community. Indian, Pakistani, yeah. Bangladeshi, we're all lumped into <laughs> one, right? Um, not to be a doctor or engineer, but just be the best in your industry. That's good, just man. pursue it and do it well. Are you a first-generation student, Aisha? Yes. So you're the first one in your family to yeah. go to post-secondary. You're yeah. a trailblazer. You're a pioneer. <laughs> what about yourself, Megan? Uh, so my dad actually, so my parents are from Guyana. Nice. Uh, my dad has a, um, a degree in science, agricultural science, um, but the same issue with every immigrant parent. You know, they kind of studied their thing, and they come to Canada, and they're not necessarily doing what they're doing. Although my dad does have a very good job. He works with Pepsi in sales currently. Nice. Um, but both of my parents obviously both encourage my brother and I to, to same thing, be the best that you can be in your industry and to always strive for more. And they're always, you know, knocking in our heads saying, bachelor's is not enough. Yeah. You must do a master's. master's you must do a master's, yeah. And my dad always says, like, never forget that 
you were born and raised and educated here. So don't let anyone feel like that you are are incapable. Yeah. You can always don't be feel better. Limited. Yeah, don't feel limited. And I thought like even with my business, because I think when I was pursuing all these like moving out and doing my business and not going to law school, um, there's that perception within your family that you're not following this traditional path of, you know, get a job and get married and all these things. You're just like a wild one. Yeah. So that's yeah. a little bit Moving weird. to Spadina in college, yeah. eating Popeyes all the time. Yeah. yeah. When I first moved out, it was just ridiculous. Mother's dumplings. Shout out to Mother's dumplings. Yeah, right. so delicious. <laughs> uh, when I first moved out, my aunts were saying, you know, oh, like even your cousin who is 31 in New York and pursuing law, he hasn't moved out yet. And I'm just like, <laughs> well, like that annoys me so much. Yeah. You gotta why take are we why are we being compared to other people regardless of how well or how bad you're doing in life? Yeah. People are gonna yeah. talk bad about you. They're always no gonna what. compare, yeah. But I then was always compared to my best friend Amir, man. Like through yeah. uh, all everything that Amir did was always better than what I did, man. And my parents always <laughs> brought that up. Like not my mom, my dad. My my dad's like, look. You're, you're doing an English literature degree, learning about Shakespeare. He's learning about balancing books over here. A very <laughs> valuable degree. He's going to yeah. become an accountant, a CPA, CA. Hamza, what are you doing, right? Yeah. And, and you know what? I get it now. Now that I'm older and I've had enough time away, I understand the perspective that they had. Like They were operating from a place of... Um, adversity operating from a place of lack almost where they felt economic insecurity and so their focus with their limited worldview was that there were certain paths that you could take that would help you achieve enough of a cash flow enough of a revenue stream enough savings to live a comfortable life away from the ones that they lived so let's talk about that a little bit with our next game over here the halo skull challenge and uh first of all do you want to play the game it's yeah. totally optional if you don't <laughs> do want it. to. Why okay, not? no one has ever refused it. <laughs> Challenge accepted. Yes. So this game is follows very much in the vein of what we were just talking about. This game is loosely titled Daisy Parent Advice. <laughs> okay. And so what we're going to do is we're going to reach into that skull over there and pull out one of the cards which talks about a value that Daisy parents hold dear. Okay. And whoever has pulled out their card, we're going to go and all three of us are going to play it. So don't worry about being embarrassed. We're all going to okay. be embarrassed okay. together. <laughs> you basically have to look to the other two guests and impart some basic parent advice on that oh, topic. Okay. Okay. So basically emulate and think about the spirit of your parents and what they would say, what they have said about the subject, and give us some advice. Okay. okay. Ready to play this? Ready to play. Okay. So let's shake up the skull over here. Go ahead. So that's your that's value. Weird. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Every day value. this is discussed. And this is my value. <laughs> okay. Well, who wants to go first? I'll go first. All right. So again, cultivate the spirit of a Desi parent and just okay. impart it into your two children over here. Oh, my goodness. Hamza and Aisha are willing to get this lecture from you. Okay. Not really. Not really. Yeah, not really. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I never wanted to get yeah, lectures yeah. from parents. <laughs> okay. So the value of money and savings. Oh, man. Oh, that's the so man. Sorry. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> so the value of money and savings... Oh my goodness! So many thoughts go through my head as I as I read that, because um, this is a big discussion recently I had with my parents after I quit my full time job. <laughs> okay, so to impart the knowledge and wisdom, um, so Hamza and Aisha, <laughs> <laughs> please make sure you stay in your full time job, never quit, make the most money that you can, because you want to be able to strive for excellence and have enough money to buy a house, to take care of us, your mom and dad, and to take care of your family. So do not take any risks. <laughs> Stay at the path of excellence and you will succeed. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Let's give it up. Well done. Good stuff. Aisha, do you want to go or should I do this? Uh, I actually, I kind of don't fully understand mine. It says the oh, value really? of ownership. Oh, do you want to trade then? Okay, sure. <laughs> the value of culture. <laughs> the value of culture. Oh, so again, my parents are not really typical in this way. You can pick another one then. Oh, do you want the typical brown uh, desi Yeah, device? you know what? Give it to us. Okay. Uh, you know what? I'll pick it up. <laughs> yeah, go for it. It's all good. Maybe while you pick this out and think about it, I can go yeah. with okay. mine. So Megan, Aisha... The value of ownership. In North America, in this part of the world, there's only three ways to make money. There's only three ways to achieve financial freedom. Number one, 
own real estate, which mm-hmm. I hope that you will do. Yes. I hope that, Thanks. Megan, you will stop <laughs> renting. I hope that you will stop giving these amindars and these landlords money. And instead, <laughs> you buy the property, you live with us for a few years, mm-hmm. and then you lease that so that they can pay off the mortgage. Yes, so just think you. about this. The <laughs> option is available. Come back home, live with us, even though you've experienced a taste of freedom in downtown <laughs> Toronto. Um, number two, own your own business, so own your revenue stream so that you're not depending on somebody else for their money so that nobody can fire you. And number three, win the lottery. Oh, yes. I and when I say win yeah. the lottery... <laughs> I've heard that almost every day. Oh, my goodness. And, and number three is bullshit because it's not going to happen. I you're know. not going to win <laughs> yeah. the lottery. Except if you come from a family of means. But even then, let me tell you, Megan and Aisha, if you receive an inheritance, there's a good chance that you're going to squander that wealth. There's a book that I read called The Millionaire Next Door, which studied generational wealth, how, how money passes from generation to generation. And across, I think, maybe thousands of interviews that they did, thousands of studies, they found that the first generation, they create the wealth, the second generation manages the wealth, and the trust fund babies, they squander spend it. it. Mm. They spend it. So consider it a blessing that I have no money to give to you. <laughs> And that you will build it for yourselves. But make sure that as you're working, as you're learning these skills, that you're also investing in your own business. You're investing in your own real estate so that you can achieve true financial freedom. And what that is, it's having everything that you want and the time to enjoy it when you can buy years of your life back. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds strange. I know that sounds like you're, in, you're indentured right now. But think about it. There's people right now who own the businesses that we're working at who are in Muskoka, who are hanging out, who are collecting money off their various ATMs, a.k.a. their properties and their portfolios and whatnot. Why shouldn't we have the same thing too? Our community can do that. The value of ownership. I feel like I just got a lecture. Right? (laughs) Sorry. I basically regurgitated the same shit that my dad told me growing up. Oh my goodness, such wisdom. (laughs) Okay, so the value of education. Hey. Mm, This is a good one. Okay. Megan. Hamza. (laughs) You must go to university, finish, and it what only must be university, not college. Really? No college. Yeah, man. I think you're wrong here, Aisha. I'm oh, sorry, mom. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no Can't, don't sleep on college, only man. University. Only university. But my program's in college, And though. you have to be having a 4.0 average. Oh, dear. Oh, Nothing more. I mean, actually, more. <laughs> A+. Plus. Only A+. Plus. <laughs> makes a new category. Yeah. <laughs> only A+. Plus. And you have to graduate, and then you have to start your master's or do a professional degree. No other option. And work at the best law firm, or become a doctor, or become the best accountant, and then make lots of money, and then buy a nice house so that we can live in, live in that house, and you can have grandchildren for us. <laughs> and that's it, the value of education. Damn. It all leads to having babies and get, having a nice getting house. married. Three very different types of advice, eh? I should yeah. just went like all in with that one. <laughs> just, like, giving us the, the worst possible advice. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good. And I think, you know what? I, I think that I hope there's listeners of this podcast right now who hear that and kind of see their own parents in that, in, the, in giving that similar advice. I know that I got the same thing too. Like when I proposed going to college, I wanted to go to OCAD initially. My dad was like, no way. There's no way you're going to college. You have to go to university, which in hindsight, I wish I went to college. I wish because I think the the type of professional that I am, a practitioner, somebody who's very hands-on, who needs an experiential learning environment, I would have benefited tremendously from going to Seneca, Sheridan, George Brown. I mean, most of the people that I work with right now have gone to college, and that's sort of the vibe that I like. But I mean, for what it's worth, the advice is right, the idea is right, yeah. maybe the, the words selected. I think Rice is a little bit different in that way, though. They used to be a polytechnic yeah, about yeah. 14 or 15 years ago, right? Yeah, so that, like was a co- it's that was a very one on one in terms of your classes and the way you interact with other people Absolutely. compared to other universities. Like, I know so many people who have dropped out from bigger universities that came to Ryerson and they're like, oh, I can actually have fun. Yeah. And I can like get to know people. people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's not just cutthroat where you just only study. Yeah, and I think that's different about Ryerson. Honestly, I'm really proud to go to Ryerson. <laughs> yeah, so. there's a Ryerson connection in this room right now. So even Kwaku is a Ryerson student right awesome. now. Cool. By the way, that's your VP of Education. I'm just saying, you know, you're, you're sitting in the presence of royalty right now. Awesome. So pay tribute, bend the knee, right? <laughs> um, let's bring this back to the performance point segment of the podcast. So very well done. I'm very proud of both of you for that Halo Skull segment. Amazing. This next segment really deconstructs how it is that you manage your time, your energy, your attention. We talk about how you optimize that because I know there's listeners who come to this podcast just for this section. They skip everything and they come right here. And I celebrate that because they want to get the goods. They want to learn how it is that they can change their habits. They can change their daily routines. So let's go into as much detail as possible about your time, your energy, and your attention. So we'll focus the questions mainly on you, Megan, but then both Aisha and I will jump in from time to time. 
So let's start with this, Megan. On the note of time, what are the biggest time sucks in your life? What are the things that are draining your time right now? And how are you seeking to minimize them? The biggest time sucks. Hmm, interesting. Game of Thrones, obviously, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, TV, not so much, actually. I don't spend too much time um, watching TV, actually. Um, but I'd say, like, the biggest time sucks, which is actually, it's a good and a bad. I spend a lot of time cooking. Mm. And that's a, it's a big time suck, and it's a big, um, like, dedication to, like, my weekends because I said I should be working, but I also need to feed myself and be, be healthy and happy. <laughs> so I think, um, like, I know there are so many options now, of, like, you know, grocery gateway and this and that, but I just love actually going to the grocery store, preparing my own meals. So it's a big time oh. suck, but I think it's also beneficial to my life. Um, a, another time suck, I'd say, would be... Uh, I don't know, social media a little bit. Definitely. I think that's been yeah. a common theme in this podcast. Let's talk about cooking though for a second, right? So you, you view that as a time suck. Are there any things that you do to turn that downtime into uptime? Like, do you listen to podcasts or music? Are you watching something while you're cooking? Or does cooking in some ways, like, get you to find, find your grounding? Is it almost meditative and is it almost calming? It's, I'd say meditative because I do, so I'm either listening to a podcast. Okay. Um, or I'm blasting some Latin music and yeah. dancing and having a party in the kitchen. So it's it's both beneficial. It's beneficial in both ways because either I'm just like letting loose, having a really good time, yeah. or I'm like focused and listening and, and I'm learning something at the same time. Well, that's really good, right? Because then it's not really a time suck in that yeah. respect because you're feeding yourself, you're contributing to good energy. So think about what the opposite of that would be is if you're just ordering your food in yeah. from Foodora or, you know, um Uber Eats every night, and so you're eating unhealthy, It's, it's you're spending a lot of money, but also uh, if you're just cooking and it's doing nothing for you in terms of your energy and making you calm, but it sounds like you're getting a lot out of yeah. that. So even though on your calendar it looks like two to three hours that you could be spending working, I think it sounds like it's essential to you. Yeah, I don't really see too many things as time sucks in my daily routines because everything I do I feel like has a benefit to like what I'm trying to achieve right so even if I'm just like sitting on the couch like that's good too because I need time to relax and decompress and gotcha and nothing really feels like it's taking away from you know my day it just feels like it's all adding up nicely right yeah Aisha how, m- how long do you commute every single day to get um, to work <laughs> and or school uh probably one hour one way, so two yeah. hours easy. Two, two hours, hours easy. easy yeah. When I used to live in Scarborough, I used to take a bus to Scarborough Town Center and then the RT from uh, Scarborough Town Center to Kennedy, oh and then from Kennedy God. I would come downtown. So easily every single day, like an hour and a half. One way. One way, but this was before podcasts, like not to date myself, but this was like before podcasts were popular. So I would just listen to music all the time. Yeah. So I think about how much of my life was just spent like memorizing lyrics and, you know, crying on the inside to Linkin Park and stuff. <laughs> yeah. How are you optimizing your trips right now, if at all? Yeah, I'm definitely listening to podcasts. Good, good. Podcasts and I love that, that podcast made a real resurgence. Yeah, and even audiobooks as well. Yes. Yeah. You use Audible? Um, not Audible, but actually, it's kind of free. So my library nice <laughs> has uh, free audiobooks that you can listen to. So Shout I take, out to libraries. Yeah, so I take use of that. That's yeah. good. So that, that one hour that you're spending each way, yeah. you're actually using to enhance your knowledge and become yeah. more, um, you know, become more wise, essentially. Yeah. Good I for mean, you. to be honest, sometimes I do take naps yeah. because I'm so tired after a day of work. But um, I'll come back home and I'll start the whole routine of studying and stuff like that good as well. stuff so important yeah. let's talk about energy so uh, both of you are inspired by your parents who have sacrificed a lot but that level of work is a surefire path to burnout what are your strategies for avoiding burnout so to avoid burnout definitely dance is a big thing yeah um i always make it a priority to either go to the gym to exercise and i really love um weight training that feels like it's fueling my body my mind i feel mentally and physically strong sure, those endorphins flow through your body yeah, exactly. right exactly um also if i don't feel like going to the gym um i would do dance so for a while like that was actually my first passion and like my art form um, because i love how people can express um, or interpret a song through their body. Um, so I would take classes at the underground dance center, shout out to them. Mm-hmm. Um, or well, actually prior to that, I went back and said, I need to start from the basics. And I started taking ballet at the Living Arts Center and then ballet at the National Ballet School. Wow. Yes. The one on Lakeshore, yeah? Um, on Lakeshore, no, no, it's um, kind of near church, church area. Right, I think, I know, I'm thinking about something else. Yeah, then. The, the actual, like, National Ballet School. Okay, right yeah. on. That's crazy, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah so, it, and that was actually, like, you know how people love to do yoga to avoid, like, um, stress? That was my version of yoga. Good for you. Yeah. 
that's how I avoid burnout. I just kind of fuel it with physical activity. <laughs> yeah, same here. I mean, I feel like if I don't work out during the day, the entire day, I just, I move through the day with much more negativity. I'm much more, I wouldn't say confrontational, but I'm less giving, I'm less happy, I'm less willing to engage in conversations like this. And so I feel like in order for me to not burn out, I have to do the same thing too. Yeah. Like it requires physical expression. What about yourself, Aisha? So I'm kind of the opposite. I actually like to take downtime, spend time with family, and for me, just because sometimes I battle with negative thoughts, I always like to read uh, positive affirmations. Mm-hmm. So I have like a list of positive affirmations that I'll read in the morning and, and at night to help me kind of get through that as well. Absolutely. But it's so important. Positive self-talk. You sometimes yeah. have to talk yourself into being in a good mood. Exactly. Um, let's focus on the last section over here, which is attention. So both of you have had your fair share of failures in life. Uh, first of all, how long do you dwell on a failure? I'd say like a failure will always dwell in the back of your mind. Hmm, it'll okay. always linger there. Yeah, but like how, how for, like, is it weeks, months, hours? How long do you fixate on them? Nowadays, not too long. I feel like I look at, you know, what can I learn from this experience? Yeah. So I say, okay, yeah. you know, that sucks, this happened. Um, but okay, what's the, what's the learning here? What can I take away from that, take away from that situation? Um, so maybe just like, an hour. <laughs> I like that a lot. I was hanging out with a friend of mine. We were watching the game, uh, Philly versus uh, Toronto, the game six over there. And this is the game that Toronto lost. And uh, he said to me, what Toronto needs to do here is have a short memory. They should just take this loss and they should say, we lost, accept it. First, mm-hmm. just acknowledge the fact that you lost. And this is an L. Because yeah. I think the people who say that their failure isn't really a failure, they're actually going to learn from that later on. And it's going to be much more destructive because mm-hmm. they will do things in a way that might result in more of those situations perpetuating themselves. So first of all, accept that it's a failure mm-hmm. and then process the learning from it and then move on. Just yeah. be like, I failed. Okay, I'm going to learn from this. What are we going to do next? Yeah. And I think I'm the opposite. I think I like to just sit in the shit for a little while and I just absorb the failure, let myself truly yeah. feel it, yeah. let myself experience the heartache, the embarrassment, the guilt. And it'll take me sometimes weeks to get over it. But when I do, like it's fully been processed. What about yourself, Aisha? I'm kind of a mix of both, actually. Yeah. Kind of Short memory and then, yeah. yeah. But I think, like, kind of seeing exactly what Megan said is seeing what can I learn from this? And then I feel that's even more of a motivation to just be, like, to kind of beat my previous self. So always just kind of move up. Do you, do you ever bring your failure into the present? So let's say you're going to do something really important. Let's yeah. say you're about to write a test. You're about to present in front of your colleagues. You're about to speak in front of, uh, you know, a panel of judges for a case competition. Do you ever think about your failures in that moment and say to yourself, um, you know, if I don't do a good job, that's going to happen? No, no, never. Because that's going to take away from the experience. Yeah, you're and right. Kind of put you in a different spot because then at that point you can't, like I'll think prior to preparing for that, I'm like, because this hap- previously happened, I'm gonna do these steps in order to not make it happen. But then when I'm in the moment, I'm like, you know what, whatever happens, happens. I've done what I need, need to do. And so, and th- I think that was our kind of um, approach when we were doing our pitch. We prepared as much as we could and so, Whatever happened, happened. Yeah, you can't really tell yourself in the green room, like, we have to do a good job, otherwise this is going to happen. Like, I think you can't dwell on the consequences of failure right before you're about to do something really important that requires you to be on your A-plus game. I know that as a speaker, like, sometimes when I've done my worst talks, it's usually I've talked myself out of doing a good talk right before because I'm thinking, Mm -hmm. oh, my God, it's going to be such a big audience over here. Mm -hmm. They're all, like, high-powered executives, and, uh, you know, the last time I did this, I said this and I stumbled on that. And then they're like, and coming up to the stage, Hamza Khan. I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm in a really negative mind state. Yeah. And I just stumble and it, my energy is low. And so I like that. You, I like that. You shouldn't focus on your failures in the moment. What about yourself, Megan? Do you dwell on your failures right before you're about to do something really critical? No, I feel like I'm, I'm a big proponent of like the power of your thoughts mm-hmm. and manifesting mm-hmm. abundance into your life. Thoughts become things. Yeah, exactly. So if you're thinking negatively, that's what you're going to receive. And I do the same thing Aisha does, actually. I have, like, positive affirmations that I would read in the morning. So especially if it's there's something big going on that day, I say, okay, I need to, like, meditate. I need to focus on the positives. I need to feel the feelings of feeling good. You know, how how can I imagine the result right now, Mm -hmm. what I want to come to fruition? Uh, So that's the mindset I try to put myself in. Um, Because I think if you think negatively, that's what you're going to receive. And you never want that to be the situation when you're going to present or going to talk to an investor or someone like that. 
And I think Fantastic. no matter how like how much your friends or family will tell you like oh you're awesome whatever you need to kind of tell yourself that you are awesome. Yeah, yeah. So you have to believe it. Yeah, and that's been I think that's been a, one of the themes in the podcast that has just come up inadvertently. Like we didn't seek to to discuss this theme, but it's been a linkage between all the guests that have preceded you, which is confidence, self confidence, yeah. talking yourself into things, believing that you are not only worthy but deserving. Yes, and I think that's really important, especially when you think about people of color, um, the way we've been socialized, especially for first generation. I think, and I don't want to make assumptions about how you were raised, but I was certainly raised to believe that, you know, kind of make yourself smaller in the room, kind of make yourself more agreeable to people, kind of subdue the things that would make you really confident and great in the moment. And I think that trying to succeed in North America in this capitalist economy, you reach a threshold where that works until a certain point. Mm -hmm. But if you want to achieve the next altitude, if you really want to become a thought leader and become somebody who's confidently presenting and articulating your business and telling people why they should be a part of things, you kind of have to become your promoter. You kind of have to become your hype man, hype woman, hype person. Yeah, definitely agree. And I feel like even small things like, well, not really small, I don't know, depends on how you view it, but changing the way you pronounce your name. Mm-hmm. I feel like you should authentically, especially now in the Canadian culture, I almost feel like there's no excuse to not say someone's name correctly just because we're at a point where... Yeah, figure it out. The onus is on yeah. you, yeah. person right. who can't pronounce my name, to <laughs> learn how to pronounce my <laughs> yeah. name. I've learned how to pronounce David, just learn how to pronounce yeah. Hamza. Right. I think it's just changing that mentality. I think so too. This brings us to the rapid fire round. Okay. You ready for this? Yeah. yeah. Just 10 questions. There's going to be two that are uh, primarily directed to you, Megan. And then feel free to jump in if you'd like for these ones. But I'll oscillate between the two of you and we'll ask you the same questions. And I might even switch up the order because I know that if I'm asking you the questions, (laughs) then Aisha has a moment, like two seconds longer (laughs) to think about it, right? And so the trick with this is you have to answer with the first thing that comes to mind. Okay, Okay, I'm scared, but I'm ready. ready. One-word answers? One-word answers. um, You can even give me a sentence if you want. Just don't do what Jonathan Andrews did. All right, shout out to Jonathan Andrews. If you're listening to this podcast, he took our rapid fire round and stretched out for an hour. I don't know how we managed oh to do goodness. that, but he was just so passionate. And he was, you know, he's speaking so slowly. Great answers, but let, 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 let's, let's keep this rapid. rapid. Okay. Operational word here is rapid. Okay. okay, so these are 10 questions, or I guess 20 questions, mm-hmm. with Megan Rama and Aisha Shahabdeen. Question number one, what's a game-changing book that everyone should read? The Happiness Advantage by Sean Anker. So good. Game-changing book that everyone should read, Aisha. Uh, the Power of Habit. The Power of Habit. Who's the author of that again? I don't remember. I know what the book looks like, too. It's I've yellow. Seen this. It's yellow. Like it's the, the wheel on it. Yeah. yeah. Um, number two, who would you want playing your biopic, playing you in your biopic? Oh, my goodness. The Megan Rama story. Oh. And you can pick, you can pick a Bollywood star. Go for it. Um, okay. Priyanka Chopra. Dang. What about yourself, Aisha? I'm going to say Meghan Markle because yes. people say that I look like her. So. You know what? I kind of see it now. Shout out to Meghan Markle, by the way. Young Archie's in the world right now doing oh, his yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. um, question number three. What's a stereotype about Bay Street that you know is true? Ego-driven. Ego-driven. And what's a stereotype about Bay Street that you know is false? People can be nice. Hmm. Question number six. What's something about you that most people are surprised to learn, Megan? That I've danced at the National Ballet School. (laughs) That's so trippy. What about yourself, Aisha? So you can't use the same one. You got to think of a new one. But what's something about you that most people are surprised to learn? Uh, just because I'm in finance, that I'm not a creative person, but I'm actually very, I've always been creative. Do you also work on Bay Street? Yeah. I messed up. Sorry. I didn't realize I didn't actually turn back to you and ask yeah. you those two questions. Can I go back real quick? Yeah. So question number four, what's the stereotype about Bay Street that you know is false? Um, oh, this is really tough. Right? Um, First thing that, that comes to mind. false. That is false. Something that people assumed about Bay Street that now you work in it, you're like, yeah, that's actually not true. I guess that people are willing to spend lots and lots of money, but I almost feel like people are more stingy. Yeah, conservative, interesting. Uh, What's something about Bay Street that you know is true? A stereotype, sorry, uh, a stereotype of a Bay Street that you know is true. That I know is true. Everyone's on coke. (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't, don't know. Um, Crazy hours. Crazy hours, right? Do people sleep in their offices sometimes? Yeah, I know people who have slept under their desk. That's unreal, man. I can't think of a single time in my life where I've done that. Yeah. Sleep at their jobs. Actually, no, there was one time, but that was in the music industry. Different, different story. Required (laughs) late hours, right? Very (laughs) good. Um, Number six, resilience, perseverance, self-love. Rank them in the order that you think people should cultivate them from first to last. 
self-love, resilience, and what was the other? Perseverance. Perseverance. Interesting. What about yourself, Aisha? Resilience, perseverance, self-love. Which ones should people prioritize? Yep, self-love first. Um... So it's interesting, like resilience and perseverance. Yeah. I, would, I would define them as resilience as the ability to adapt to uh, stress and perseverance, I would say, is the ability to persist through stress. Per, uh, perseverance and then resilience. Perseverance and then resilience. So like first yeah. build your foundation and then your ability yeah. to withstand it. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, number seven, who is someone you admire in the world of fashion? In the world of fashion? Right now, I'd say Shay Mitchell on Instagram. Shout out to Shay Mitchell. Aisha, what about yourself? Uh, we were actually talking about this on our way here. Um, I completely forgot her name, but she was on Dragston and actually went to Ryerson. What? And her business was called uh, Heels Heels to Flats or something. I, I don't remember. But um, we actually saw her at the fashion conference, so that's right on. sort of a stuff. Yeah, if we find her name out later, we can put yeah. that in the show notes always. Who is someone you admire in the world of tech? Oh my gosh, there's so many people. Oh, Whitney Wolford from Bumble, Bumble CEO. Bumble, yeah, Bumble yeah. CEO, right on. Interesting story. She used to work at Tinder. Yes, yeah, I think and she then was they like split. a co-founder there. Yeah, yeah, and then she quit, rightfully so. I hear that the culture at Tinder is horrible. Right, yeah, there's Very really? sexist, yeah, and like Very Sean sexist, Rad, yeah. who was the CEO over there, like he just somehow ducked out right before the Me Too movement caught on, but if that was happening right now, you would... I mean, I hope it happens oh, to him. I hope it catches up with him, but fucking hell. Yeah, it was really bad. I think that the story of t from what happened at Tinder actually inspired her to start Bumble and create that first move for women where they're in control and being empowered yeah. to be bold because that wasn't the culture at Tinder at all. No, not at all, but also Tinder just as a... We actually had a dating expert on the show, um, uh, Lauren Marinick from Somebody Datas, and we talked a lot about Tinder and the difference between Tinder and Bumble and... Uh, I mean, it's been a while since I've been on a date, but if I were to go back into the dating pool, Bumble would be the way, the way to do it. I mm -hmm. mean, just Bumble just seems like a superior technology in every which way possible. Yeah. Tinder, I'm like, why would you go on Tinder unless you, <laughs> I think Tinder's the hookup app now, right? Yeah. yeah. That's what people are using it for primarily. What about yourself, Aisha? Who do you admire in the world of tech? In the world of tech? Can I say, I don't know, right? That's fine. Yeah. That's perfectly fine. And somebody once gave me the advice that like you shouldn't really have people that you look up to or that you admire because when you meet them, you're going to be disappointed. Yeah. And I've thought about that a lot and it's been like, oh, shit. Like <laughs> I, I meet a lot of people that have looked up to me. I wonder if they're disappointed after meeting me. <laughs> I'm sorry if that's the case, but you know, it is what it is. Um, number nine, if you could fix just one thing about our current education system, what would it be? Oh, mm. oh my goodness. I know. There's so many things. <laughs> right? This is no way. This is going to be a rapid-fire question. Um, but it is. I suppose to be more experiential, hands-on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Aisha? So I come from a finance background, and I think that should be a huge focus because it's a life skill that everyone should know how to do, doing their taxes and um, budgeting. Regardless of what industry you're going to be in or like walks of life, you, you will need to know how to handle your money. And I think that's really important. Love it. Our final question, thinking about both of the conversations that we've had, I have the conversations that I've had with both of you that, we have, that we've had with each other. We imparted some Desi parent advice to one another. You were sharing wisdom from your own life. But what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? So let's start with you, Aisha. What's the best piece of advice that you have ever received? Whether from a friend, a mentor, a book, family member, whatever. I think kind of going back to what my parents would say, just... Be the best. Be the best you can be. Mm -hmm. yeah. Achieve level of hyper-competence. Yeah. Very important. What about yourself, Megan? Um, the same thing from my parents. Don't let anyone feel like make you feel like you're less than because you're just as important as they are. Look at that. <laughs> Ten question, rapid fire round with... Aisha Shahabdeen and Megan Rama, and we just crushed this. We just burned through at least an hour on this podcast. Way to go. Wow. wow. Time just flew good <laughs> yeah. today. Very Sweet. proud of both of you for the, for, for, I'm very happy that you're here and very proud of you for how well you rock these questions. I'm very, very impressed. This brings us to the last segment over here. What's going on? Where can people follow your adventures online? We'll start with you, Megan. 
So to follow our, our adventures um, as a business, you can follow us on Instagram at sonder.toronto. Sonder.toronto. And that's S-O-N-D-E-R. Yes. Got it. And you can follow me at Moxie Meg. So M-O-X-I-E-M-E-G-Z. Right on. And what about yourself, Aisha? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram, I guess, on uh, Aisha, she, Aisha underscore Shehampton or LinkedIn. And that's uh, <laughs> A-I-S-H-A dot. A-I-S-H-A-H and okay. underscore S-H-I-H-A-B-D-E-N. Gotcha. And what I'll do is I'll tag both of you in the yes. show notes as well so people can awesome. just click off from there and uh, what's happening next with Sonder give us the roadmap how can people get involved when can we expect it and uh, you know just get us excited about this so the next steps that we're actually currently in our beta testing program so we're actually inviting people to join our early adopters which are you know those who are going to test out the service going to check out the booking system and we're going to run that for the next three to five months so now is the best time to get involved and you can find us on instagram go to our website at saundertoronto.com um, shoot us an email message us on instagram because we'd be happy to have people on board we're also looking um, possibly to branch into men's clothing right now we're focused with women um, but definitely if men are interested in getting involved with this initiative we highly encourage um, everyone to join amazing well that's it friends thank you so much for tuning in we'll see you all next week megan aisha thank you so much for being here this is an absolute honor Thanks thank for you having for having us, us. friends Thanks, <laughs> we're out <laughs> <laughs>